This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power, and embrace your possibilities. Embrace your possibilities. possibilities. Hello, this is Andrew Jobling, and welcome to the Wellness Puzzle Podcast for another week. Hold on to your seats this week because I have just spoken to Alice Reedman, who is English and living the life in Bali, loving her life in Bali. But let me tell you, it's been a journey for her to get to that place. And this is a story that you will need to be sitting down to listen to, if I'm being really honest. A beautiful life she had. She was married on the verge of adopting two beautiful young children until her life was thrown into turmoil. And that led to stuff that I'm not going to share with you right now because you'll need to listen to this podcast to hear how she was brokenhearted. She was traumatized. She was incarcerated until she got to the point where she was able to transform her life. And now she's making a massive, massive difference in the life of many, many people. So this is a wonderful conversation. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Alice Reedman. Alice, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm really good, Andrew. Nice to see you again. You too. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Absolutely (laughs) welcome. You look at you looking all relaxed there in Bali at the moment, (laughs) aren't you? Just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough gig, isn't it? Yeah. Alice, it's awesome chatting with you and you are doing great things right now, aren't you? You've just published a book which is having a really positive impact on lives and living the life in Bali from the UK, obviously, I'm assuming, obviously, based on your accent. Yeah. You've told me anyway, so I know that. You've got a story and a half, and we're going to really dig into that and what you've been through, but what you've overcome. And I think the most inspiring thing about you, Alice, is what you do now and just one of the most optimistic, cheerful people, and you've got a heart for others. You want to help other people, but you've been through a lot of crap, haven't you? Yeah, I did back in 2014, for sure. Yeah, 2014... 2015 was the most challenging time of my life, definitely. But I do feel that what I went through, I was actually prepared for it in some way. Other things that happened to my life, that gave me little steps of preparation. So when this big thing came through out of absolutely nowhere and just really wiped me off my feet, I knew inside that I could deal with it. I mean, I I didn't know how tough it was going to be. But um, but yeah, it was pretty challenging. Right now, don't we say anything about what happened to you because we'll get into that in the next section because I want people hanging on. Let me tell you guys, listen (laughs) to this, wait till you hear this story. But it was pretty traumatic, horrendous. I can't even think of the right words to use to describe what you went through. Mm. I want to know, how has it shaped you, this lady that I see before me today? How has what you went through helped you in a really positive way? Yeah, I mean, it's completely transformed my life. I was determined that I would have a good life considering what happened. And so moving to Bali accidentally, like many of us do, has been massive. I've been here six years and just living here has changed my life completely. I think moving to Bali was the best thing I could ever do. And I feel at home here. I feel as soon as I got here, I felt like Bali was my home. So what was the initial reason why you moved to Bali? Was it just to go on a holiday? Was it just trying to escape from the reality that was your life at that stage? What was the reason for coming to Bali in the first place? Well, it wasn't planned. 
Did you just get on a plane and said, take me wherever, and it accidentally landed? Yeah, it was one of those mystery flights, no. was it? <laughs> no. I went to Nepal. I had it in my mind. As soon as I got well enough, I would go and travel because I knew in the past when I'd gone traveling, it's so inspiring to see mountains and different cultures and just experience different places in the world, different frequencies, you know, of different places that you go to. So my sister was living in Nepal, and so I thought, right, so I wasn't well enough to go traveling on my own. So I thought, I'll go and visit her. So I did. And then we ended up traveling around southern India for three months together and also with another friend, which we were completely unplanned, but we did that. Then when my visa went out, I was like, okay, where am I going to go? I have no idea. So I wrote a little list, Mexico, Bali, all these different places. I can't remember what the other ones off the top of my head. And because I've been to Bali and I actually had my honeymoon here. So it was obviously something that wanted to bring me back. So, yeah, it called me and I came back. And when I stepped into this world, everything seemed to fall into place. Isn't that interesting? And isn't it interesting because as it will unfold, it was your marriage within your marriage or because of your marriage or because of who you were married to that this trauma began. It's interesting that you would want to come back to the place where you came on your honeymoon with that person. Yeah. (laughs) To me, that sounds a bit weird. It feels like or sounds like they would trigger you or it might reopen wounds. What was the decision to come to Bali knowing that that's where you had your honeymoon? Well, I mean, I'd come before the honeymoon on my own and I loved the country and it really called me to come back. So I thought it's a long way to go from England, but, you know, that's why I came my honeymoon. No, it didn't. But I must say, to be honest, when I did go to Snow, which is where we went for a honeymoon, that was a little triggering when okay. I actually went there on my own for the first time because it did bring up memories. But you know what? Now I go to Sonora and I really like it. So it's just almost like revisiting those fears, going back into the past and then coming through and being a different person. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great message there, Alice. That's wonderful. So you faced it. You didn't run from it. You didn't hide from it. You actually went back into it and you negotiated it, navigated through it, and now you're feeling stronger as a result of it, which is awesome. And so I know people are wondering, what is this story? Keep waiting. Mm -hmm. You'll hear about it shortly. But Alice, you've just published a book called I Am Alice, and which pretty much narrates your journey and your story and what you had to endure and what you had to overcome. So just tell us a bit about the stuff you're doing right now with your book and in Bali and trying to really impact lives. Tell us a bit about the fun stuff you're doing right now and what's exciting you. Yeah. Well, now I've done a lot of sound healing. So I've done a lot of training in that area because sound and the voice So I've done lots of training around the voice and sound because that's what I really love and that's what I'd like to do more of. But in between time, I've made a small collection of jewellery, which I'm selling here. And um, it was really inspired by the book as well. So, yeah, to really give hope. I guess I was creating it for myself so I could feel hope and I could feel like it's okay. I'm imperfectly perfect, but that's okay. You know, it's just like things don't have to be perfect. In fact, they never will be perfect. No. <laughs> the sooner we understand that things will never be perfect, they will just be as they are and just to take, you know, each day at a time. Yeah, so I'm just doing that really. Obviously promoting my book, I started a podcast, which I'm really loving because I love talking to people about that there instead of yep. me. So yeah, so I'm really excited about talking to people about how their lives changed and how they ended up living in Bali and um, yeah, the inspiration from them as well to share. Well, sorry, I'm asking you the questions. And actually, that's why I love my podcast too, because you're right. The other person gets to really do all the hard work. All you do as a podcast host is just direct the conversation and add to it. And I love 
podcasting. I think it's awesome. And I think it's a great way to get into some stuff that can really have an impact. So what we're going to do, Alice, let's have a quick break. And then we're going to dive into your journey, what brought you to this place and what you had to go through, what you had to navigate, survive, and then overcome to thrive. And so I look forward to chatting with you more about that after a short break. Everyone has a book inside us waiting to be written, and Adri Jobling can unleash the hidden author in you. Have you ever wanted to become a successful author and impact many lives? Andrew will support, guide, and mentor you through the entire process and help you leave your legacy for the world. Contact Andrew for a free 30-minute chat about the influence you want and can have. Go to andrewjobling.com.au to find the author in you. Alice, I'm a little bit jealous. You're sitting there sweating in Bali at the moment because the weather is obviously very warm as it always is in Bali. And I'm sitting here supposedly coming towards summer in Australia. And as you can see, I'm wearing my fleecy top and we're only just inching out of the winter weather right now. So it's not warm. There you are sitting in your singlet top looking very tropical and warm. Yeah, it is hot. I'm sorry. I pretend it's not, but it's rather it is. warm. I can tell. I can, tell. I can see you sweating. <laughs> well, you're saying that your air conditioning was playing up a little bit, so you're sitting in the hot. Anyway, you're used to the heat. You've been through a lot of it. So, Alice, London, is that where you're originally from or close to London? No. Yeah, well, I was born in London, and then my parents moved down to the south of England. So all my childhood was down in the south, sort of by the sea, not far from the sea. And then when I was back 17, I decided I wanted to go back to London. So I went back to London and that's where I stayed pretty much most of my life. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, tell us a bit about the evolution now and tell us a bit about the lead up to this period of your life that was so transformational. Yeah. Well, I got married in 2009. And we've been married a couple of years. I was a bit older, uh, as everyone seems to sort of leave marriage and having children until later on in life. So, yeah, after having a couple of miscarriages, we decided that we'd adopt children. You know, there's lots of children in the world that need homes. And, you know, we were really keen to be parents. I never really felt that it had to be my child. You know, I always felt like children, they're universal. You know, I mean, obviously, if you can't have them, then why not? bring up somebody else's. Yeah, so we went through the whole process. It was really quite... How long did that that. take? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, two years. Yeah, it was pretty grueling, I must say. It's a lot of interrogation about your life and you. And especially for me, it's like, are you good enough to be a mother? You know, they really, really laid on quite thick until we got approved and then the social worker was much nicer. Isn't that interesting, um, Alice? Sorry to interrupt you, but isn't it interesting to grill you to adopt... Yet anyone can go and have a child. Mm. And how many parents are out there that are so ill-equipped to be parents, but they've had a child? Well, okay, well, you just got to have a child, yet you're trying to adopt. Therefore, you've obviously thought about it. You've decided it's something that's important to you. You're really ready and you get grilled. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I mean, they have to make sure that you're committed and that your character, I mean, yeah, I kind of see it's important. You don't want to put any child with any person. But yeah, I mean, my husband was a school teacher, so he got off very lightly because he was a school teacher. So he was like a pillar of society. But for me, being a graphic designer, I used to be in a band. I used to, you know, work in magazines. 
I hadn't had enough experience with children. In fact, I had to go and do some work experience in a nursery. That's crazy. Um, which was quite upsetting for me, to be honest, especially when I saw these little ones. They didn't really want to be at nursery. You know, they wanted to be with their parents. I found it really quite upsetting. Yeah. And not allowed to play with their toys when they want some little furry toy, this girl that was hers. And they put it up high for when she has a little nap. And she saw it, so she wanted it. But I wasn't allowed to interfere in any way. So I wasn't allowed to get the toy shot, which obviously I wanted to. Except thankfully, this other little boy saw it, jumped up high and got it and gave it to her. Yeah, it was definitely interesting and quite challenging for me. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So obviously, two years, you got approved? Yes, we got approved. And then we started the process of seeing all the children. You know, they send you a picture and some words and basically sort of run down kind of what's happened to them. Because obviously, all of the ones would have been neglected or abused or, you know, had difficult, like, say, when their mother was pregnant, they might have taken drugs and things like that. So all the children were quite, you know, challenged in some way. So yeah, it was my job to go through all these children and look at these little babies and everything. I mean, it was very tough. We saw a social worker, so they have to be interviewed. I have a day interview and they come around your house and make them lunch and they talk to you and they kind of grill you. And uh, we had these two little boys, they were brothers, and we saw a video of them and, oh my God, they looked amazing. And, you know, we were really excited to maybe adopt those. So I'll think overnight and then decide. I was like, yeah, I think so. I mean, they're great and they're siblings. You know, they've already got their little connection together. So yep. it's just about bringing them into a bigger connection. But then they rejected us. The social worker rejected us on the grounds that my husband didn't appear interested enough. Yeah, which was interesting. But then when I said to my husband, he said he wasn't really that fussed. We, we didn't get those two because he said he really wanted to have a girl. So, wow. Yeah, I found it very upsetting. But anyway, we got matched with this lovely little sibling pair, a little girl, little boy, three and 18 months. And yeah, I learned a lot about her character and what she was like from the foster family. And they just seemed like amazing little children. So yeah, we got matched and we were really happy. You know, a little girl, three, a little boy, 18 months. I mean, obviously I was just over the moon. I thought I'd won the lottery. I thought, wow, I'm actually going to get to look after these children for their life up to adulthood, you know, until they obviously move on to their own lives. Yeah, I really thought, wow, I couldn't believe it. They were just such beautiful, inquisitive little things. So you had the two, the boy and the girl, and tell us what happened at that stage where you're about to get them to come home Yeah, so what happens is it's quite complicated, but you basically have to go and live nearby the family, the foster family, for about 10 days. And then during that time, they integrate with the children and then the last three or four days they come to your house you're with the foster person nearby and are integrated in yeah but the day before we were supposed to be having the children I was asleep in bed my husband woke me up and said basically he didn't want the children he didn't want me either and that he had feelings for somebody at work you know which later obviously I realized wasn't a fair so I wasn't fully awake wow. when he told me and so you know it was almost like like a dream yeah, time, time yeah like a dream so I kind of questioned right I sort of woke up quick and questioned him about it and then he didn't really want to talk about the marriage or the children he wanted to get to work so he left so that was it he just said I don't want to be married to you anymore I don't want kids and he left yeah well the last thing he said to me before leaving the house was I would have made a good mother which was quite strange yeah and he went to work 
basically left me in that sort of state of complete confusion. So how did you respond to that? What happened? I immediately, you know, whilst he was actually talking to me, I actually texted my sister and said, you have to meet me. No children, no husband. I need help. So she came down and she was literally, I was picking her up at the station about an hour and a half later. Yep. So, yeah, I picked her up and she had been going through the process with me. You know, we'd just been away for, like she went for a day sort of talk about how families can support, you know, adoptees and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, we were in shock. And then uh, she said, look, let's call our brother. So we called my brother. I mean, we just couldn't. Yeah, comprehend really what happened. And eventually I did speak to my husband that day for the last time. I saw him in person for about 25 minutes. He was in shock too. I mean, he was just, I was like, why couldn't you tell me, you know, earlier when I was away? You know, he just, he'd already gone. Yeah, clocked out. Yeah, so it was a lot of pieces to pick up for me. And uh, obviously, consequently, a lot happened to me, Um, you know, the shock had a physical, mental, spiritual effect upon me. And, yeah, it was a bit of a dark night of the soul. Uh, sure was. I'm sorry no one should ever have to experience that. That's horrendous. However, and the, the light at the end of the tunnel yes. was that it did start you on this journey, but there were some challenges before you were able to create this freedom. Tell us now what was then the next step in this adventure yeah. you're about to embark on. Uh- <laughs> It is quite shocking. You, As you read it, you really don't believe that this could possibly happen. Well, I mean, obviously, that's why I wrote the book, because I had to write the book because I couldn't believe this had happened to me. I could not believe that somebody like me could then have an experience that then would force them into some sort of spiritual opening. So spirit came in to kind of support me through this tragedy that was going on. I was, you know, having physical symptoms. You know, my body was shaking. I was obviously in shock. Now I realise that's what, you know, the whole body went into shock yeah. for the first week. Thankfully, I had my sister there, you know, supporting me and going through this unbelievable set of events. Yeah, and I didn't really sleep for three weeks. I mean, I didn't trust doctors after having taken um, medication for thyroxine, which made me really fatigued. Yeah. And uh, apparently you can have early miscarriages, which is what I had too whilst on the medication so I really had no trust for doctors yeah so when all this was happening I didn't well we didn't even think to call a doctor really we thought we'd just get on and manage it and also I didn't trust doctors so I wouldn't actually want to see one I did think I was going to die because I had such heart palpitations it's not that I wanted to die or anything but I didn't really want any medical intervention because yeah I thought it was a bad idea yeah in hindsight maybe some sleeping pills would have helped you know, just to calm the system so you can sleep. Because obviously sleeping is very important. You burn yourself out very quickly if you don't sleep. Yeah. But I did have that sort of, I was holding on to life. I was determined to live. I mean, my whole body was trying to sort of eject and, and kind of leave. But I was like, no, I can do this. I can manage this. <laughs> you know, uh, Which obviously I did. But, um, but yeah, you know, the heart was just knocking like it was really painful physically as well as emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. So Alice, clearly it was a tough time, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you said that. What happened at that point? It's complicated to try and condense into a sentence, but basically I went to a friend's house, a family friend's, they looked after me for a week. And then after that, when I came back, I basically hadn't slept for three weeks. And basically I got locked up for a 28-day section. So 
I had this feeling that because I was like, felt like I was in two parts and one way I felt I was okay and managing stuff, but obviously I knew that really I wasn't. Who so, locked you up? Well, I was taken to see a psychiatrist. By who? By my sister, my best friend. Right. Yeah, one of my oldest friends. But I knew that they were taking me there to get me locked up. And I sort of really like... Really? Your sister I'm was okay taking you there to get locked up? Well, I didn't know that. That's how I felt. Right. Okay. So when I got there and I got into this place, which was actually really horrible, when I went in there, there was a couple of women and they looked dreadful. They, I don't know if they looked on drugs or anything. They looked awful. I mean, I was a bit scared, you know, they were just maybe they'd been on the streets. I don't know. But, you know, I felt very sad for them because obviously I could feel a lot because of the spiritual awakening I had. Anyway, I got in to see the psychiatrist and I just thought, I don't want to see a psychiatrist. So I ran out the door. Yeah. Because the door happened to be open. So I was like, well, I'm getting out of here. Because I felt like I was running, really, because nobody really could see that I was kind of okay. I was just expressing normal emotion for what somebody had been through. Yeah. You know, because obviously I was in a lot yeah, of grief. absolutely. And I didn't feel safe. You know, basically the safety net of being married, of feeling secure with my husband, having a house, suddenly it was all gone. Yeah. No husband, no children. Obviously, no house. I mean, obviously, you would sell it eventually, divorce. It was a lot to deal with. Yeah. So, so what happened? You ran out of the office and then what happened? They chased you. It was very dramatic. Honestly, it was like being in a movie. I ran out. There happened to be a policeman there. And I was talking to the policeman, trying to, and he was just looking at me. He was was like he was a robot or something. I was just like, okay, a bit scary. And then an ambulance came and, you know, I could see my sister and my best friend over there with a psychiatrist talking about me. Oh, she's mad, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just screamed. I just saw, I let out a scream because I just gave up. You know, I just gave up. And then they took me away, as I say, wow. put me in an ambulance. I had a lovely paramedic, lovely woman. She was very gentle and really lovely. Yeah. And then this guy who's another paramedic, I guess, um, I asked him to hold my thumb because your thumb is about security. I did this gin jitsu thing. And if you hold your thumb, it's like, and having, feeling connection. So I asked him to hold my thumb and then they basically put me in one of those white rooms. I woke up the next day in one of those white rooms with no bathroom, nothing. And I was like in a fishbowl. They have this window with these blinds and then somebody is observing you whilst you're, on this very high white bed with white sheets with white walls, and that's where I was. For 28 days. Well, no, that room, you just go there for the, what I find out, you go there for one night. That's a sort of stabilising place. You know, I was never a danger to myself or others, but, you know, obviously they put you in that room to begin with. And then I got seen by three doctors, and I told them what had happened to me. You know, my husband had left, you know, my two doctor children I'd lost them, blah, blah, blah. You know, so for me, I thought, don't they realize I'm suffering from huge amount of grief yeah. and huge shock? Yeah. And then I later found out that they'd signed me in to stay there for 28 days. So what was the diagnosis? Me. Obviously, they diagnosed they didn't give me what, schizophrenia well, or know. insanity? or <laughs> No, I mean, I later found out it was bipolar. But, I mean, I've never suffered from bipolar, but they have to put something while they're looking at bipolar then. So what happened next was the next day, they take me upstairs to my next room, which to me felt like a prison cell. And they basically forcibly held me down, injected me. And I'm saying to them, 
because I'm thinking, considering I'm supposed to be completely crazy or unwell, I saw the needle and I was like, I thought, you know, I'll try and say something so I could get out of being injected. But they didn't. They just injected me. What was it they were injecting um, with? I've no idea to this day, to be honest. Obviously, it completely sedated me. Yeah, and then I went through the daily routine. You have to go and you know, get dressed get up I got dressed but nobody else in the unit would get dressed but I would get dressed I would go and get my drugs I would take my drugs I would go to breakfast I would eat my breakfast I would look around you know so I just did I, I went straight any into the kind program. of treatment or rehabilitation or is it just drugs and cells just drugs cells no and then, no there was counseling or no conversation no. or no allowing you to explore your feelings and what you're going through and nothing like that no, this they, is crazy. They this is, sounds like it's the 1700s. I know. I, I'm laughing now, but yeah, it was shocking. Uh, but I did find a priest one day. Well, I think he was called a chaplain. And I saw him because I'd seen there was a place that said chaplain. So I saw him. I, I said, oh, could I have a chat with you? So then because I'd asked, obviously, he said yes. So I basically spoke to him for an hour. That was he it. He told him what happened. Yeah, but they don't give you counselling or anything. No one really spoke to me. And all the other women were quite, some of them were quite violent. Somebody accused me of taking their children. And it was quite a violent and scary place to be. That sounds absolutely uh, horrifying. Horrifying. Yeah, it was horrifying. Yeah. And I had 28 days. 28 28 days. days. Oh my gosh. Well, hold that thought, Alice. Let's have a break. I think (laughs) I need a glass of water and we'll come out and we'll talk about how you got out and then what happened since you've been released from prison. We'll be back in a second. (laughs) Hello, um, my name's Alice and I've recently published my book, A True Adventure Story called I'm Alice Break Up, Break Down, Break Through, where I share my story of transformation and change from living in the UK being married, about to adopt your children, to living a whole new, different life in Bali, in Indonesia. If you're interested in reading my book, you can purchase it on Amazon, or you can purchase the ebook from my website, which is travelwithalice.com. You can also listen to the first chapter that I read on my website, travelwithalice.com. Well, Alice, that's an adventure and a half, isn't it? 28 days, you certainly didn't expect that. And it's probably something you would never choose. Tell us, before we talk about the transformation of Alice, what happened when you got released? Okay, the good news is I actually got off the section within two weeks. So I didn't have to say the 28 days. Oh, that's good. Basically, yeah, the first week, obviously, I went and did all the stuff. I went and got the drugs in the morning, drugs in the evening, and I I played the game. And then the second week, I heard that other people didn't take their drugs. And I thought, what a great idea. Because actually, I had a five-hour panic attack one night because of the drugs. Because basically, my body didn't need them. I'm quite sensitive to drugs. So again, I had this massive panic attack where I couldn't breathe. So yeah, I took myself off the drugs. And after the second week, I started applying for a court order so I could be removed from my section. I got a solicitor. You know, I followed the procedure. But then the psychiatrist called me in, did a little bit of testing, and basically threw me off my section and said, look, uh, you had acute stress reaction and you're off your section as of now. So off your section, what does that mean, Alice? Well, it means that I could leave. Okay, awesome. So the psychiatrist actually 
finally realised it was just stress. Really, that's what it was, the whole thing. It was just this trauma from this incredible shock that you had just been delivered to you without any warning. Who wouldn't respond that way? Exactly, yeah. Okay, so they let you out. Yay, free. Mm, not quite. Oh, not okay. quite free. Okay. Well, because after two weeks, if anyone has had the unfortunate experience like I had, you'll know that you are completely programmed into the system. Remember, I hadn't been outside unless I had a visitor. So if I had a visitor, I was allowed outside for two hours. So I was spending 18 hours a day in a high-rise building. Right. So I lost all confidence in being able to go outside. Yeah. And it was a pretty rough area. It was a big city. And it was pretty rough. And I didn't feel safe. How old I? I mean, I didn't feel safe in there, <laughs> being locked up. But I also didn't feel safe going out on my own. So it was suggested by my family to stay an extra week. Then I could go out and in, and I could just rebalance and reclimatize yeah. myself to life, which is what I did. And then I left. So. Okay. And so you're out now. Tell us what had yes. changed within you and in terms of what you then wanted to do moving forward with your life? Well, it took me some time to recover, to be honest. I mean, I would say it took me a good year and a half before I had any clue. I was just managing life with my high blood pressure, with going through divorce. I was just on survival mode for that period of time. But then I did have it in my mind that as soon as I got well, I did lots of Ayurvedic therapy, I did daily yoga, I did breath work. When I came to, I thought I will go traveling. I want to see beautiful things. I want to see mountains. You know, I want to breathe. I want to be out of the UK. Because also remember, I had been kind of publicly humiliated. Yes. Through what had happened, through suddenly losing my children. Because you have to make it very public to all your friends and family and everyone that you're adopting. So they can support you. And so you don't suddenly random have some kids in your house, you know. So everyone knew. And so I felt very publicly humiliated by not just losing the children. Because obviously, if you had told me a few days earlier, a week earlier, a month earlier, I could have just said, oh, we didn't get the children. I mean, literally, I could have just said that and it would have, you know. But because we had and we'd obviously told everyone, it was an added sort of dimension to how I felt. And that sort of rejection was quite, you know, took me a while to build back my confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I did. And Bali was also the next step in my recovery and, you know, learning new things and living here. Why Bali? Why did you decide to stay? Wow, personally, I felt safe here. I met lots of people. I did cat sitting and dog sitting and everything just sort of fell into place. You know, when you're in the right place, because everything just falls into place. So it was just falling into place. And I was meeting nice people. I felt like, you know, there's lots of other women here that have been divorced and gone through stuff. So it seemed like the perfect place really to settle for a while. And I had no intention of staying forever or I don't know what forever is, but, you know, this long. But it, it just happened, you know, another year went by and I was like, oh, God, I'm still here. Oh, oh, maybe I live here. So I was doing all the visa runs to Australia and other countries. So, yeah, I was just taking one day at a time, really. Yeah. And, uh, it's not a bad way to do it, hey? Looking. Not a bad way to go. Take it one day at a time. <laughs> so what advice do you give, Alice, to people that are going through some trauma, going through some challenges in their life? What would you say to them? How would you help them? feeling stress or anxiety or overwhelm or lost control of a situation, what do you say to them? Ideally, it's great to get support, whether you have 
you know, a counsellor or somebody, a good friend or a couple of friends that you've got some support avenues that you can rely on, you know, because if you haven't got somebody completely, you know, unrelated to your friends and family, it's actually very hard to actually tell maybe the truth about how you feel. I mean, for me, I came through this, I mean, I did have a little bit of counselling, but journaling for me helped me a lot because I could fully express how I felt in any moment. Um, even during that panic attack, I actually journaled through the panic attack. I mean, it wasn't much journaling. It was more like just making some marks and uh, a few words. But, you know, it really supported me because I could just offload into my journal. And it, it's my personal space. If you scribble, want to draw, you can do anything. You can express. Yeah. So finding some way of expressing yourself through some creativity, I feel, is one way for the mind to, you know, to offload. Um, you know, being out in nature, finding connection with people that understand you. I mean, that can be very hard, I know, because obviously I didn't really receive that on so many levels as much as I would have liked to say. But going out in nature, you know, having animals help a lot because, you know, they, they have a frequency which is nurturing and there's unconditional love. You know, we all need a bit of that. Yeah, breath work, you know, meditation, even just listening on YouTube. There's amazing frequency sounds you can listen to. I mean, sound is a very powerful tool that can really help us change our whole energy and our mindset yeah awesome well so you did a lot of things didn't you so let me ask you this question alice last question well second last question how do you feel now about your life and about yourself yeah i feel great i sometimes look back and i really can't believe that actually happened to me and and then that's really why i wrote the book because i thought i can't believe that actually happened to me i have to write it because i have to assimilate that it happened but also now I'm sharing it with other people. And like yesterday, I got a message from somebody I didn't know. And she just said how she could relate to living. You know, she loved Bali and how the energy here is so different and how she feels so good just being here. And, you know, how my book can help so many people and inspire people. So when I get messages like that, I know that what I went through and sharing that, which for me, I was very avoidant about sharing it. But I know I'm helping people. So it makes me feel very happy that I came through it. And I'm also able to share my experiences, no matter how shameful or embarrassing they have been. Else, they're not shameful. And really, they're not embarrassing because it's not something you did. Shame is this horrible emotion that deceives us into thinking that we're responsible for our circumstances. And yeah. you're not responsible I mean, I for any of those circumstances. Now. No. No. But we're very hard on ourselves as, you know, as humans, we're very hard on ourselves. How did I let myself get into this situation kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. And also it's like, oh, we could have done it differently. But, you know, we did it however we could at the time. We did our best. Yeah. So I feel like speaking up about it now, I feel a real sense of release because I know it's helping people. And I've released myself from that by sort of speaking about it, by writing about it, by putting it out there. It's like, no, I I won't be shamed. Stuff happens. And. I've come through that and it's quite unbelievable, but it's true. That is, that's awesome, Alice. So would you say, and I'm just reading between the lines here, the greatest thing that came out of that seemingly horrendous experience of waking up, being told by a husband, he didn't want kids, he didn't want you, going through the stress and the emotional upheaval that you went through to be thrown into a psychiatric institution and effectively incarcerated for two weeks and then going through all the hangover of that for 18 months. That's pretty traumatic stuff. Would you say the greatest thing that have come out of that is your ability now to help others? Yeah, it's definitely my mission because 
I've met so many people that they've also experienced it or their families have experienced, their mothers experienced it. I mean, people just tell me all their stories now. But the other thing that I think that's really come out of it for me is to have more compassion for ourselves and have more compassion for others because we actually never know what people are going through or have been through. But definitely my mission is to share it and to so other people to know they're not alone. Awesome. That it happens to us. You know. That's wonderful. So, Alice, how do people buy your book? How do people reach out to you, find you? What's the best way to do that? Well, my website is travelwithalice.com, and they can buy the book on Amazon or you can buy the ebook on my website. Yeah. Wonderful. Or I have Instagram, travelwith underscore Alice. Or they can fly to Bali and get a signed <laughs> copy from you, which I think is a wonderful thing to get a holiday and get to meet Alice. <laughs> Alice, thank you so much for sharing your journey, your story, being so open and vulnerable and well done on the transformation that you have crafted for yourself. You did that. You could have spiraled into the abyss, but you didn't. You've now transformed yourself into this powerful, confident, incredible lady that's doing great things in this world. So good on you and thank you so much. That was an incredible conversation. What a story. Who would imagine that someone could go through what Alice had to deal with and she has dealt with it. She's gone through it. She's beaten it. She's now using it as a platform to inspire and help other people. All the stuff that she mentioned in that podcast is so powerful that we can all use and apply into our life and help us in any situation, no matter what it might be. If you would like to buy Alice's book, and I really encourage you to do that so you can really find out more about her journey and her story. She goes into a lot more detail clearly in the book called I Am Alice, Break Up, Break Down, Break Through. And you can get it through Amazon and through most of those book platforms, or you can get her ebook on her website, which is travelwithalice.com, plus all the other stuff that she's got available on her website, her podcast and her jewelry and a whole range of stuff. Thanks for being with me this week, a powerful, powerful week, a message and a story that I would encourage you to share with as many people as you can. I would also ask and invite you to join me again next week because I'll certainly be back with another guest. My name's Andrew Jobling. This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast.